Greetings, listeners, to our national conversation about conversations about race. You're about to be treated to a bonus track. We were invited to see the film Dope in advance to be guests on Slate's spoiler special. So tune in to their host, Dana, and the three of us, and we host together in a co-discussion series about a great film. This Slate spoiler special is meant to be played after you see the movie being discussed. The podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Dope, the new film from writer-director Rick Famuyiwa. And joining me in Slate's New York studio are three co-discussants who are all of the panelists on the Panoply podcast about race. Hey, guys. Hello. (laughs) By the way, I've never been called a co-discussant Me either. I was like, is that a new racial slur? What's going on here? We're going to co-op that word. Who are you calling co-discussant? Yeah. (laughs) Word. That's a crazy I think I just made that up. Yeah, it's a great word. Co-discussant. You have that right. At least I didn't call you co-discussant. That should replace ally. I was just going to say that. Oh, that's great. Okay, good. So, so you guys, I'm very excited that you came in for this. I'm a big listener to your podcast, and I hope that Thank you know you. our audiences will um, cross paths this way, and some of your folks will discover me, and my folks will discover you. So, let yes. me introduce you one by one. Okay, to my left is Baratunde Thurston. Hello, Baratunde. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for being here, Raquel Cepeda. Hello, what's up? And Tanner Colby. Hello. A longtime spoiler partner. Since 2007? I don't know. Do you have it engraved? Tanner. Well, Love Guru, was that our first one? Oh, my God. I can't believe we spoiled that movie together. Yeah, we did. That's the movie that essentially you can never recover from the shame of having seen. And we've been through that humiliation together. This is starting to sound very salacious here, this conversation. Mm. (laughs) Should we leave? What is love? Should Baratay? Exactly. Should Baratay? Oh, thank God it sank like a stone. It was that terrible, terrible (laughs) Mike Mike Myers Myers movie. movie. All right. But today we're here to discuss, I think, a pretty good movie. And what I usually do is go around first and just get a quick reaction of, you know, sort of thumbs up, thumbs down. Would you send your friends to this movie or not? Personally, I thought Dope was delightful. It's one of the, my favorite movies of the summer so far. Um, what about you guys? I would use a different word to describe Dope. I would say it's dope! For real. I will be upset if my friends don't see it. I, I love it. So they should do it. Dope is fresh to death. I loved it. Everybody, everybody I know has seen it almost already. I, I'm going to watch it. I may go see it again. I may take my daughter to see it. I'm actually going to see it again. How yeah. old is your daughter? She's 18. I th- I thought it was great. I think it's it's rare because it, it's one of the uh, you know in this age of like it's either blockbuster or Oscar bait drama season, and it's just a fun movie. So you can go and and it's ninety minutes, two hours, whatever, and it's just a great time. I agree. I do have mild reservations, which we'll get to in the point at some point in the discussion. But I would totally send people to it. So Definitely. so now is the time when we essentially summarize what happened in the movie, no holds barred. Okay. And uh, in this movie, it's actually very useful to do a spoiler special because there are quite a few twists. So we start off in the neighborhood of the Bottoms in Inglewood, California. Our hero, who is played by Shamik Moore, who's a relative newcomer, I think he's done some TV, but this is his first movie, is named Malcolm. And uh, does somebody want to take it from there? What do we learn about Malcolm in the opening voiceover, which is voiced by Forrest Whitaker, one of the movie's ex- executive well, producers? Bear was late, so he can't do it. <laughs> Why are you going to call me out? I was going to say Bear Tunde was on Color People Time. And not explain that part of the movie, but Tanner had to throw me under the bus. <laughs> yes. Thank you, white co-discussant. So, so uh, uh, Malcolm is a kid in Inglewood. He's obsessed with 90s hip-hop. He and his friends all go, and they, they all talk in 90s hip-hop slang and dress in 90s hip-hop gear. Uh, but funnily enough, they have their own band, which is called Oreo, which is really sort of white people pop that they play. Um, mm, I wouldn't say it was white people pop. 
But I they're obsessed they're, with white people's stuff. That's part of what the setup is. Well, they're, they're, they're being accused of liking white people's stuff because they're Like Donald very, Glover, which was a great joke, yeah. by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really funny. But they, they, they like skateboarding, which I think some of that is biographical to Pharrell. Because he like he loves you know he was called like a white boy because he liked skateboarding when he was younger and punk music or rock music or hardcore music or whatever anything that's non-urban. Mm-hmm. So they were being accused yeah. of being or Oreos. I guess that's right. the that's right. The, the music they play. The right. If the music that they love is this early '90s hip hop, the music they play is really more like straight down the line punk almost. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool to see that. It, I can't actually. It was it, it really touched me to see that on screen, you know? It was very complex. People that like, you know, that that kind of challenge that one note narrative of just liking all things urban. And I just I, I just love seeing that and seeing how also that I don't know the young lady's name who played uh, Malcolm's best friend. Kiersey Clemens is her name. Yeah. She was just like accepted like any and when I grew up we had everybody had a gay friend that was accepted. It wasn't like a big conversation that was that we're having. And, well, actually, it sh- maybe should have been a big conversation back then. <laughs> but we were just teenagers, so we we're just like, "Yo, that's you know, that's your gay friend, right?" Well, so listen, there's cool. kind of a cute reveal too, it's, where she is essentially presented as a boy for the yeah, first I scene love or that. something, right? I just absolutely love that. I just love the nuances. Mm-hmm. And the non-binary approach that they took to making this film. So that's the the key threesome. Let's establish yeah. them. We've got Shamik Moore as Malcolm, and then playing with him in his band, and essentially sort of accompanying him in his geek posse around high his school. Co-discussants. Yes. His co-discussants. His co-discussants, <laughs> if you will, are are Kiersey Clemens as Diggy, and then Tony Revolori, who you might recognize from the Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, Hotel, as Jib. That's a kid's name. Jib and Diggy. Yeah. Jib and Diggy. Yeah. They got the best. I, I, my friends didn't have such cool names when I was in high school. <laughs> right. <laughs> And we never know what he what Jib is, right? Do we <laughs> ever know? Do we ever find out? Ever he's that? ethnically ambiguous. He's like fourteen percent African. That's all we know. <laughs> yeah, he's ethnically yeah, ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. This is Great the discussion joke. they have with the white stoner kid later yeah. in the movie, right? Where yeah. he's trying right. to figure out why can he say the N word and I can't yeah. say the N word. And I love that they left the Tony Revolori character's kind of racial his, his ethnic background I love that. completely. It matter, right? Yeah, he's yeah. Guatemalan in real life, Tony Revolori. But you know, he 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 could be right. anything. So the basic plot, the next step of the plot is that uh, Malcolm, because he's uh, infatuated with this girl that a drug dealer is also infatuated with, he ends up going to the drug dealer's birthday party. There's a shootout. The drugs get shoved in his backpack, and he finds them the next day when he shows up at school, and there's panic. And plus a gun, don't forget. Plus yeah. a gun. And oh, he yeah. gets thrust into this you know, drug dealing caper plot. And what was great, uh, they talked about this in the New York Times profile of the movie, you, know, you had all of these menace to society... Boys in the Hood movies from the early 90s that really sort of defined that era of black cinema. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's impossible to, to overstate how much, if you're a white kid in the suburbs, that defined black America for you. It was Ice Cube and the drive-bys and NWA, and that was our image of black America. And what's what was great and what the director was trying to do with the, with the movie was say, I mean, there's great variety within the black community. You had all these black nerds and different kids who were in the same environment. So it was kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead taking the lens in the menace to society world and turning it around and putting it on the other black people and what their life is like in that world to sort of expand it. Well, and, and even the, Dom, who's the corner drug dealer and the gangster and the guy who throws the yeah. big party where, you know, this drug exchange happens, is not portrayed as kind of like, you know, just he's, he's not just sort of a gangster with grill. No, you know what's cool? Very and, and, intelligent. And, yeah, in the hood, who, who yeah. debates 90s hip hop yeah. with Malcolm. In the, ho- in the hood, when women are that way, we call them ghetto flowers. So he was like a male version of a ghetto flower, somebody who has a lot of potential. Had he been a white kid and he would have had great social capital, perhaps, and gone on to do something else. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it kind of to me showed that you know they're kids. If you just engage them in the hood, that are very smart and can put two and two together. And I just and he was else one. Engage them first. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. So for me, he was one of my favorite characters, and I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of ASAP Rocky. He was just a natural. Yeah, he really yeah, was. was yeah. But, and, but he kind of dropped out of the movie, though. It was sort of too bad that after that one bad, phone yeah. call from jail, you never hear from Dom again. But you know what's interesting? Every character almost was treated the way like a Kurt Vonnegut like, uh, character was. Like Even if they were like just an extra, they had everybody had flesh and bone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I, I just really respected that with the writer without being so overly preachy or whatever. Or everybody didn't have a... You know, everybody needed to have a message. But every character had a soul, had flesh, and had bone. Even, I think there's a little like bit. That. We haven't gotten there, but I think there is a little preachiness that comes in in that last closing the last monologue. Closing my, but yeah, it didn't the end the there. Over. But it didn't end there, yeah. which I was like, Shh, thank God. And and if you want to just pick the two main driving forces of the film, the first is that Malcolm is trying to get into Harvard. He mm-hmm. has an interview scheduled. His public high school guidance counselor does not believe in him. And talks him down and down. You're arrogant. He calls him arrogant for thinking that Harvard would waste its time on him. He has a great idea for a college essay. And the counselor says, no, you stay in your lane. You're a poor, fatherless kid from the hood. You write that essay. So that's his drive. He wants to get out. He wants to get to Harvard. And then he gets loaded with hood drugs. Mm -hmm. By the man who was supposed to be the best example of escaping the hood. Who has created these little half-baked hood rats in his mansion in the suburbs runs a check cashing place, exploiting his own community, right. and is actually the biggest drug supplier that we can see in this film so far. And the right. reason this whole thing happened in some weird way. I mean, to me, that was that was a weakness in the movie. For one thing, I mean, I guess it's just a movie coincidence, but that this one guy would be the mm-hmm. locus of all of those things was, was kind of... But I'm willing to buy that coincidence if the scenes don't sort of... I don't know. Just, just don't I thought make it that was, point quite yeah. so. Hard. I thought it was cool. I thought I wasn't expecting it. It was just one of those things I wasn't expecting. I thought it wasn't really a bad. I think he was saying, making a statement with that. Well, I, yeah, and I think it, it. The film sort of paused to make a statement when when the shootout happened at the at uh, ASAP Rocky's party, and he ran out with the drugs. And at that point, I thought this movie is going to be one of those movies that just it's like it's a forty eight hour nonstop. You know, he's running like Mad, Mad Max. Max. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> right? That's a wrap. Or after and hours, right? Movie, like something right. where you yeah. get something caught like up in after this hours rhythm, this where, night where you just, can't escape. Yeah, the night you can't escape, but the day you can't escape. Yeah. And then it stops, and then we're hanging out at the drug dealer's house for a while, and then we got a job interview, and then it's moving fast again. And then it, I, I just felt like the tone. It's a, it's a lot of fun, but it's kind of shaggy. I mm. felt like the tone sort of was all over the place. So you wanted that pay, that chase pace to Yeah, yeah I wanted I wanted to keep that going like them like on their bikes, you know, zooming but they around. I had like time pausing, to yeah. set up their Bitcoin powered yeah. dark web Molly business online. Like right. that takes a pause. Right. That so that's didn't what bother dominates. me. That yeah. what dominates the second half of the movie, yeah. Bartender Day, is exactly that, right? So then they need to get rid of these drugs. They've discovered, like, we can't return them, right? There's no way to return them without us either, like, getting killed, whatever, getting arrested. So we're just going to sell these drugs online. And they hook up with this white stoner kind of Burning Man type dude, yeah. <laughs> um, played by Blake Anderson, who who's going to help them offload the drugs. And like you say, Tanner, things kind of slow down plot-wise at this point because they need to take the time to learn how to build a mm-hmm. hidden website. And, you know, they throw a party and they through social media get starts to start to offload this this molly onto on the, the dark way. I didn't have a problem with the pacing going up and down fast and slow and I just I I wanted to learn about I mean I just found myself really interested and I like I mean you had to slow down if you're going to add the whole tech thing and yeah. angle to it right cuz like 
No, and that, that's uh, like a hard thing to explain. No, I thought they did a gr- a really yeah. fun job with like kids going viral. Yeah, like they were very um, generationally appropriate for if you're gonna try to sell drugs on the internet, what would you do? And how would you launch? This is like basically a product launch. Yeah. Through a concert, a word of mouth only concert. They, you know, we skipped over my favorite scene of the whole movie, which is, you know, we've left our hero, Lily, the daughter of uh, the millionaire check cashing drug kingpin Harvard man, which when I say it like that, it does sound like a lot <laughs> to get <that laughs> character to bear. She feels bad that he's going to miss his Harvard interview. So she drives him on the drive to this interview. She freaks out. She has to go to the bathroom really bad. She has to pee. She makes a stop at the best Starbucks parody I've seen in a film. A <laughs> seven, bucks. seven bucks. <laughs> that is so It funny. was great. It was like McDowell's and Coming to America, but times right. 10. Mm-hmm. And she just squats right in the bushes outside of seven bucks, takes a piss, and then gets, she blows up on the media because of this. And what's the line? I, I'm hoping somebody... Oh, there's the meme, the viral meme that's the invented. Right. How am I supposed to eat my pound <laughs> How am I supposed to eat my pound cake? That is so I am dropping that even in this life. Like, not just in the film. Because they got this dude who was basically the Antoine uh, Dodson, the hide your wife, hide your kids. Right. Yeah, it was so funny. Film, yeah. Who is, you know, the black sta- bystander who says something really clever to get on the, on the news that people on the internet turn into a gif that becomes a meme. And so Lily, the character who was on this particular drug, becomes the name of the drug. Right. So they don't even call it Molly anymore. Yeah, they call so it cool. Lily. Yeah. Giving right. rise to another That's meme. So people on Lily be like, yes. yeah, right? Which yeah. is like, that is so internet. Like you are right. just ready for Reddit. Like, yeah. I, oh, no, the movie it. the movie is like really, really smart about technology yeah. and the viral web and all of that. And I will say, because you, as you and I, uh, you guys know from the About Race podcast, uh, I have to chime in on the treatment of white people in the film. <laughs> oh, do we have and, to talk about white people? Like well, no, because we had this. Is there a musical back. theme that kicks uh, no, no. in well, when Tanner talks about this? It should be as, a violin. As, a we, well, as we discussed, the world's tiniest violin. <laughs> when we were discussing Fresh Off the Boat and yeah. Blackish, Blackish has makes better fun of white people than Fresh Off the Boat. Fresh yeah. Off the Boat's white people were kind of goofy. And I thought this movie was much better at making fun of white people than yeah. Dear White People. Yeah. Okay. The white the, oh. the white guys in this were really, really good spot on satires, like mm-hmm. you said, of that Burning Man guy. I was like, why can't I use the N word? And, and Yeah, I thought a few times this is the movie that dear white people wanted to be. That's exactly what be. I said. Mm, yep. And Get I, out of my brain. <laughs> so I and I had a similar thought in that I like this one more. And I'm Yeah, I like this one more. Disclaimer, I have a cameo in Dear White People. Yeah. You always I, have to I, drop that in. I will because I have to say. have to Well, it's relevant myself. here. It's full disclosure. That and the Harvard degree have because to come both, into every Basically, I'm in both these movies. I'm <laughs> right. basically in both these movies. Well, because because unlike Dear White People, we won't get off on a discussion yeah. of that movie, but it didn't really have a main character and a main story, right? I mean, this movie feels like it has more of a heart to me. It's not so episodic and spread out and kind yeah. of an excuse for a lot of punchlines and scenarios. It's more like you're following this kid and you care about this kid. And, and like, I think it was yeah. what I liked about it is that it was not binary. So where dear white people would just dealt with like white and blacks, every in 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 um, dope we were dealing with everybody and even mm. racial ambiguity. Right. I just right. I thought that was really cool, really funny. Right. <laughs> to me, I mean, to, to me, dear movie. white people—they're both good movies, yeah. but I like I, this one better. This, I like this, this one, better. and this is more fun for this sure. This is fun. Like, dear white people is like it's just it's more it is a hard nose, a harder nose, like pointed, darker satire. This was a great comedy. That mm-hmm. also, it was also, and it's younger. It's more playful. It's like high school versus college. Yeah, it's an elite liberal multi-generational multi-generational public school. Yeah, um, so we have multi-generational. Like dear white people is all college age kids only, except for the dean mm-hmm. and then the, per- and the school president. 
we should come back to this movie. I'm so <laughs> well, sorry. So, so let's let's get to the to spoiling like the ending, the stuff that happens in the last reel of the movie. Basically. I took a bathroom break. I didn't see what happened at the end. You just do middles, right? I, I'm the king of the middle. I'm like <laughs> mid, middle. I take the Silicon Valley approach, but middle out is how I watch films uh, as well. Getting back to dope. Yeah. Dope. So so bring us home. How what you know? We got kids on Ma, on Lily. We have uh, Malcolm who has to go through a series of hoops to not only get the store set up and start distributing, but then convert the Bitcoin that he's generated into cash. You're right. And I, you, I was trying to figure out what I would consider to be the action climax of the movie, and it is essentially that moment that he has to trade in this this Bitcoin money that mm-hmm. he's made on the web, right? This kind of like abstract money for an actual suitcase, a, a, a sort of like faux Louis Vuitton or something suitcase mm-hmm. full of cash. You know what? The, this is... This this movie, when I think about it now, reminds me of Pulp Fiction. You're taken on this journey, a very physical journey through the city, and you meet interesting and weird characters along the way. Mm-hmm. You meet a Bitcoin expert. You meet a check-cashing Harvard grad who's a drug kingpin. You meet uh, Dom, who's fascinating himself. You meet the pound cake dude, you know, just for a brief flash moment. And you meet the guy with the bags, the fake versus real, another racially undefined yes. character who is somehow key to like the underworld of black market Bitcoin transfers yeah. mm-hmm. and who demands that Malcolm show who he really is and hit him straight up in the face. So that was a, a really important beat uh, moment to think about. We're, we're being taken on a tour of characters uh, in a weird world of L.A. that's very multiracial, powers distributed in unexpected ways. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Well, I thought it was going to end on that message where, you know, not fitting in is the best place to be. And I was just like, oh, OK, but it didn't end there. It actually ended the way that I love the way I, my favorite endings are open endings. Like you just don't know. He got this letter. We don't know his uh, letter about whether he got into Harvard or mm-hmm. not. Right. It's thin. So you really don't know if he got in because usually when the letter is thin, I'm told that means you didn't get into but when college. It's a big envelope. It usually means. But it was so too. thin. No. Oh, OK. For me, yeah. for somebody like me who I, I didn't go to Harvard. Um, so I get assigned some. <laughs> I've already said too much. I, I didn't know whether he got in or not. I just thought that it was just like an open ending. Like, wow, like this is a I point. He got Life in, continues. He, he yeah. gave a little smile, he gave a smile to the when he opened it. I, I was, I was right. pretty certain he got in too, but that's, again, proprietary information. I, I think we, we skipped a beat. I'm sorry, on the, the cash. Mess- right. Before oh, we get to the message. Oh, yes. The, the way he ties the knot around mm-hmm. uh, his interviewer and drug, uh, drug supplier. Drug yes. supplier was brilliant. It was was great. So, so great. Cool. So you know, he had this challenge of how do I link... Um, this Bitcoin account to a real bank account without implicating myself. And so he ends up tying it to the bank account of the check cashing king slash drug dealer slash Harvard interviewer man. And he delivers a speech back to him. You know, this guy had lectured him about Amazon. He went on a real weird tangent about I want cash instead of drugs. Mm-hmm. But he was like very insistent and plotting when he did that. And Malcolm just delivers such a great closing punch, which is like, your hands are tied. Like he you basically made... blackmails him into getting his Harvard recommendation. Yeah, exactly. But is the idea, yeah. and this is a pretty major plot point for me not to have grasped, yeah. but is the idea that he's rigged it in such a way that the guy's going to get caught or he's not sure if he's no, going to no, get that caught? that he has a chance of getting caught yeah. because the government's not looking at all this stuff anyway, but he has coded it. It's like, a, it's like a carrot that's just dangling it, there. It's like a ticking bomb. Yeah. Um, I, I, thought, I, thought, I, thought it, I thought it was more that I could pull this trigger at any time. 
Like oh. I could reveal this, like like if if I change with one the stroke line, of the keyboard, with it's the like a hidden, keyboard. It's like an IED that he controls. But that was yeah. another weird thing to me too. Was they had the the cop, the white cop, who was like you know sort of lurking around we're the edges. He's close. looking at a line of code at the end of the movie. Yeah, Do I we, think he does get caught. I think that he does get caught. I think because it's implied that they he were does. they were yeah they were like doing some encoding. I knew, yeah, and I wanted a screenshot of that to see what they were looking at and even yeah. how they got to see the programming behind. Like yeah, would, that, a, that I didn't get. A police officer would not be able to just see the code. It's not. It wasn't. They like probably hired a nerd. They a probably website. hired a right. They probably hired yeah, somebody. Like a lot of times, like hackers, right, get hired yeah. by the government. Oh yeah, like in like, um, House of Cards. Good. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so then we so forgot. There's another. Like that that some loose dope. There, there's some loose ends and some shagginess in this movie. As no, fun as I it like. Yeah, no, like all movies. Open endings. I think it's just like certain things are meant to be open, like meant for us to interpret. So right. so what happens in the in the very end? Well, there's a second action climax too, yeah. right? There, there's the there's the Asian dude that makes him choose between the two bags, which yes. is the real bag, which is the fake bag, which becomes this whole sort of metaphor for authenticity, right? Right. And he ends up with the the bag, but then he gets shanghaied by the bullies from his school. Remember oh, yeah. the guys who stole his sneakers Forgot early on mm-hmm. and uh, and they discover, "Oh my god, he's got this bag full, full of cash." cash. And, and that's the moment, yeah, that's the moment that which is kind of a surprise to us because yeah. so far there's been gun violence but not Jib, Diggy, and Malcolm have not pulled guns on anybody, yeah. right? Yeah. They've right. remained they like away nerds the, the whole time, right? Yeah. Just solid. Like they're trying to keep out of, of trouble and suddenly he pulls a gun on the bullies to get his, his cash back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I loved that moment because it, it brought it way down from the comedy, right? This was like survival and he had to make, he had to make a choice that he never would have voluntarily chosen. He was backed into a corner and he chose survival. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get the judgment that maybe even he had of the drug dealers that are, you know, poisoning his neighborhood. He got a thing, a little experiential glimpse at what they might be going through just a little bit. And, like, and he's on such a different path. He's on the Harvard path, but he has a bag of money and he's defending that bag of money and his future at Harvard with a weapon. Right. And I, I think for the audience, it was a nice you know, mood change. But for him, like you, there's some calculation. He doesn't want to do this, but he wants to live. Yeah, and, the and fact he chooses that he, his life, you know, over right. the life of somebody else potentially. And that's a huge decision for uh, for anybody, especially a high school kid who has designs on, on Harvard and geek stuff and punk rock bands and hasn't lived that life at all. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say that that's the moment that makes him able to write the college application yeah. essay that we hear in the very next scene, right? Where he's dropped his original idea about Ice Cube's good day being his college application right. essay. And he does write about his background and being from the hood, but he also writes about, I mean, essentially he creates these two portraits, right? Mm-hmm. Like, here's one kid, and he sort of paints a portrait of the kid he was before all of this stuff went down. And then imagine this other kid, you know, yeah. who's on the run with drugs and a gun and, you know, gang violence. And, and he sort of, what his essay ends up being about is like this bright line that you're trying to draw between these two kinds of young black men can't really be drawn. That we are capable of, of being all of those. And we something we talk about so much in, in our show about race, pluggity plug plug, <laughs> is, um, is that multiple identity life, whether it's the code switching required when you have that kind of life or whether it's the full spectrum of your humanity and your identity being recognized and how many right. boxes you check on a census form. His essay was, I check both these boxes. Uh, I love to have a, a, a friend. Uh, actually, he's talked about it publicly. So I can even say his name, Ron J. Williams, from Brooklyn, black, went to Harvard, has startup life. And he, when he talks to high school kids, he presents them with this checklist at the beginning of his talk. And he's like, I want to tell you a couple 
potential facts uh, about me. Uh, one check mark uh, was arrested for gun possession. One check mark uh, graduated from Harvard University. One check mark uh, freestyle rap for six years. And they're like, there's no way you went to Harvard. Like these kids, just, they'll believe the gun. They'll believe the uh-huh. freestyle rap. Uh, they do not believe the Harvard thing. They certainly don't believe one person can contain all those worlds. Malcolm's character reminded me. He reminded me of you, Raquel, but he reminds me of my friend Ron much more in, in that sense because he could check that box. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really is. That's that's to me the strength of this movie. Yeah. I mean, for all the quibbles I may have about the pacing or, you know, did, was this scene a little bit too heavy? I, I thought maybe the actual voiceover of the college application essay was a little heavy handed because mm-hmm. we've seen that in yeah. Risky Business. We just saw it in The Spectacular Now a couple years ago. Like every time there's a high school senior in a movie, you have to hear him voicing over his college application essay. Right. But that's, those things are quibbles just compared to mm-hmm. like the, the spirit and the life this movie has and the, the breadth of vision that it kind of gives of this kid right. and his world. And I, I like what, showing kids that are, quote unquote, urban liking things that are not expected yes. of them because exactly. that kind of like where I, when I said that it reminded me of my of my husband he was into hardcore so when hip hop was happening CBGB's was happening in the 80s mm-hmm. you know what I mean like all these things were like going down at the same time and there were a lot of people who skateboarded and loved to write graffiti so uh, to me that was just really cool that was what had me actually feeling nostalgic a little bit when I was watching it right. you gotta take him moments. to see it then yeah definitely all right, y'all. I wish we could we could talk all day about this movie. I hope you'll come in and spoil another movie with me sometime because it's yes, really, absolutely. really fun. Yes. So again, Baratunde Thurston, Raquel Cepeda, and Tanner Colby from the About Race podcast on Panoply. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Our producer is Zach Dinerstein. The managing producer of Slate Podcasts is Joel Meyer. And the executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. <laughs> 